You're listening to the Trap One Podcast. This week, I'm delighted to welcome back uh, my guest. He's the only human that knows more about space law than the Megara, Dr. Chris Newman. Welcome back, sir. Thank you very much indeed, and thank you for having me back. 11 weeks, where has it gone? I know, it's uh, it's, it's gone very quickly. So we last spoke to you, um, about the pilot. How have you found Series 10 since then? Any particular highlights for you? Well, I've got to say, it's been something of a cure take. Um, some of the stories have quite worked for me. Some of them have been sort of really actually very straightforward. Um, there's a couple of there's a couple of stories that I'm really getting me on for because I'd have sounded a right old grump, you know. Um, in terms of the highlights, I've got to tell you, the highlights for me have been Peter Capaldi, yes. Pearl Mackey, and Matt Lucas. They have never, even when the material that they've had to deliver has been dreadful, you know, they've never they've never blinked. They've never given anything less than one hundred percent. So the triumph we're talking about here in season ten is a part of this team that I can actually really get behind. I, I, it's such a shame that we're getting rid of them because they've been sensational. It is, yeah. If if they come in last season and we'd got two seasons of them, uh, yeah, it's uh, I could have watched a lot more of them. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things, I mean, I, I, I think we spoke in the in the pilot podcast about how Cl- uh, Clara, there you go, for talk about a Freudian slip, how Bill had taken over very nicely from Clara. But one of the problems I had was was my, my sort of perceptions of Matt Lucas. Was he just going to be comic relief? And I have to say, for the first few stories, I was thinking, oh dear, he's just going to be the one to make the funny oh, do you think so, Doctor, comment? Yeah. And actually, he didn't. He didn't do that. And, and and this is why I'm so glad to be commenting on this particular episode, because I think in this episode, we get we get such a satisfying, such a rich, satisfying payoff for the arc that Nardole's been on. Yeah, and and how funny, I think, that, that he gets the traditional companion departure of uh, the romantic sort of pairing up and starting a new life. Absolutely wonderful as well, in a beautifully understated, in a beautifully underplayed way, that little romance between him and the Lady Homesteader. Oh, it was great. It was really, really good. Um, And like I say, I think the big problem I have and the big worry I have coming into this podcast, I loved last week's. I absolutely loved the setup for the finale. I thought it was easily the best of the series. But the problem with a two-part story is that part one lives and dies by part two. Yeah, you know, look at look at extremists. Extremists was a wonderful setup, and then it was it was delivered a dreadful hand in the next two stories, and so you can't really watch extremists of itself without thinking, yeah, but I know what's coming here. There's going to be no payoffs in the monks. It's all going to be very confusing and very rushed. So when you watch. A, a lovely first half. I mean, you know, it's not exclusive to Doctor Who. This you remember, Star Trek had it with the best of both worlds. You know, it's yeah. it's it, it, it's really difficult when you have a such a brilliant setup to deliver. And I think what we're about to see is about as good an attempt at delivering as I think I've seen in the Moffat era. Possibly Pandorica opens still touches it in my favourite because I thought that was just sensational. Yeah. But I think this is the second, this is certainly up there with the Moffat finales because let's be truthful here, he does have very much a sort of an up and down record on this, doesn't he? 
Yeah, I think um, I think Russell D. Davis did as well. I, I find. Oh um, goodness, yeah. It's, it is a difficult thing to pull off. You pull off after a great build-up. You know, usually uh, an excellent cliffhanger or multiple cliffhangers, as we got with um, with the story last week. Um, but yeah, I, I'd agree. This one and the Pandarica opens and Big Bang definitely the two uh, the two strongest. Yeah. I've I've never felt more sort of energised than after the end of World Enough and Time. I, I thought this is it, bring it on. You know, this is going to be really. How's he going to pay off? And I think the thing I love more than anything was it was actually quite simple. It was actually quite a simple story, and I think you know I, I'm I. We, I've watched this. I've watched the episode we're about to watch before, and what I think is he keeps that simplicity in the Doctor Falls. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things. So you know, when we go into it. One of the things I'll be harking on about is the fact that he doesn't do the trick that he did at the end of, of Matt Smith's reign, where he tries to solve the world and you know its entirety of its problems in a forty-five minute episode. What we get here, very simple, very simple story, and I think he, I, I think it's all the better for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you're ready, we will uh, push on with the episode. I am indeed. I will press play when you tell me. Okay, so if you are watching along with us at home, uh, we will press play in three, two, one, and go there. So we've got the uh, previously on Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, and I thought there was a nice little bit of continuity for, for those of us that love the little continuity trails. There was a little bit of continuity messing about before with a bit of a cyber controller voice announcing the Doctor Who show. I was great. Yeah, absolutely. I guess um, uh, you know they wouldn't have got that in America and uh, you know kind of uh, overseas viewings. But yeah, and presumably it was Nicholas Briggs because he's done the voice of these um, uh, kind of retro Cybermen this time. Um, but yeah, he sort of he kills the continuity announcer and takes over, doesn't he? Brilliant. Now here we go. A very very uh, a typical Moffat technique here. We have the dramatic ending and then we cut to something completely different. Yeah. And I think that is, I think that's something that we see very, very clearly. Yeah, this, um, this as well, really nice pastoral scene, but with really gruesome uh, kind of horror elements thrown into yes, it. Terrific, isn't absolutely. It? Uh, this kind of scary scarecrow thing um, that we've seen before in uh, like sort of human nature and... Uh, it's, um, yes. The master in Mark of the Rani, isn't it? He... Uh, Disguises himself as a, a absolutely, singer, and we have this. We 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 do tend to have a, a a very sort of bucolic feel to contrast with what we saw last time. Yeah, very um, to contrast with the dark urban industrial sort of feel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is terrific. That it's it's kind of dusk as well, and the yeah. Uh, they're advancing sort of uh, Night of the Living Dead style. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we get a lot of uh, what we're going to see throughout is, is a lot of homage. Um, I mean, essentially, let's be right, this whole thing is a, is, is, a, is, a, is a loosely based homage to the Seven Samurai, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's Magnificent Seven, um, Seven Samurai. We've seen the story a thousand times before, protecting the villagers, but... For all that, it's a great story, so why mess with it? That's it, you know. That's that's, uh, that's what it's been told so many times, isn't it? I guess. It's, it's, and the Doctor makes the perfect 
Yule Brinner, you know, type of lone warrior figure. Yeah, the stranger coming into town and uh, winning them over. Yeah, we have the tale of redemption. We have the tale of of, of the, the, the 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 protagonist whose motives we're not quite sure of, and yeah. we've got the the seemingly remorseless baddies. It's great. It's it's yeah. it really is. It, it, it if you're going to steal, steal from the best, and and that's yeah. what we've got here. I like the the scene there, the um, where the. Uh... The, the villagers are tying up the, the kind of proto Cyberman, and the little yes. girls just kind of skipping through the field like it's the most normal thing. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then this um, this little shuttlecraft that comes through, it's a lovely yep. retro design that you would have seen in Doctor Who in the 60s. Absolutely. I think I think they've got the blend of nostalgia and of, um, you know, of, of currency just about right. Yeah. And then a uh, really, really nice shot of, uh, of Cyber Bill holding the Doctor. I, think somebody, yes. I can't remember who it was now. I meant to make a note of this on Twitter. It um, sort of put a bit of a collage of uh, the, the, the different Doctors holding the companions. So like the 11th Doctor holding Amy in Asylum of the Daleks and carrying Clara at the end of yes. Name of the Doctor and things. And then this being the, uh, the sort of inversion of that. And then, and then into the title sequence. Now, I should apologise, and I'm going to make the same apology I made in the pilot. There's going to be large periods where you might have to prod me because yeah. I'm going to get sucked into watching it. <laughs> right? Because this is really, you know, this is really one of those one of those events where you want to watch it and you want to enjoy it. Yeah. I, I watched it very quickly uh, after after my first viewing last night. Um this uh, these scenes with the two masters are great as well. I'm going to be quite controversial here. Okay. I think this is the best I've seen John Sim written. I think John Sim is beautifully understated here, and there is that real air of power and menace behind him. Yeah, I was going to make... the hysteria we saw. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. Um, I much prefer him written this way. Um, but there was an interview um, which uh, I looked up again last night. I'll put a, a link in the show notes that he, from I think it was about 2012, where he said he'd like another crack at it um, and, and to play it much more toned down and quieter um, and less kind of, I think he said, like giggling maniac. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's basically what happened, wasn't it? We we got the, you know, we got the end of town giggling maniac here. We get a psychopath, a yeah. dangerous terrifying you know terrifying person who is clearly on the edge yeah but internalized very internalized and i think that's brilliant um and i think contrasts very well with 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 uh, michelle gomez because i think if you'd have had two people going at it then it'd just be too much you'd have been lost in the noise you know yeah they, they work together beautifully don't they and it's the mm. it's the pleasure he takes um this master in in being evil Oh yeah, he's he's. I mean, they're tearing chunks out of the scenery, but just in yeah. in very slightly different ways. Yeah, it, it, Johnson particularly just trying to just hurt people and insult them, <laughs> just casually, yeah. just without even thinking about it. Is uh, it works really well for him. And again, beautifully downplayed Capaldi here. I think mm. the way that he the way that he sort of draws the draws us in. You know, he looks defeated. But he never looks. He never looks beaten. He never looks like he's. He never looks like he's. He's, he's about to give in, and he never looks frightened. And yeah. that's the thing I always love about his doctor. Yeah. He never. He never looks afraid. He always looks. He always has that defiant look in his eyes. 
yeah. The the end of Extremis, I, I love where he sort of realizes what's going on, um, and whereas the other characters have uh, you know taken their own lives, things like that, he's still defiant right to the end and gets the message out. Yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah. Oh, we're going to miss him, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. we're going to miss him. I mean, always leave him wanting more, but blimey, he's he's done this to an absolute T. Yeah, and this season, the the shift in his performance. Um, as um, I loved him before, but he's, I think he's re-cemented himself this season. Uh, definitely is my favourite of the new era. Well, you see, this is the thing. I didn't, I didn't really like him as the grumbly, crotchety. He was, too, it was too far. Mm. It was too much. I think what has happened this season, he has played Doctor Who the way that you know you would expect someone of Capaldi's ability and talents to play Doctor Who. He has been amazing. I mean, you know, very, very difficult. It's almost like this season is of itself, like the Eccleston series was of itself. Yeah. And 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 his performance has just been amazing. He's been so easy to love. He's been, he's not, you know, no, 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 no cruel barbs. Well, you know, obviously apart from Nardole, um, <laughs> but you know, no real cruelty. There's, there's a gentle, gentler edge to him. And that little small attenuation makes such a massive difference. Yeah. I was seeing on Twitter, um, I think writing for Doctor Who must be one of the hardest things to do because as fans, we know the voice. We know the voice of each character. We know how they should sound. And any deviation from that voice really jars like a discordant note in a piece of music. Yeah. Uh... And here we go. This beautiful performance here where, where he shifts from, from the defeated through to the, oh, by the way, I had a plan. Yeah. The um, the little reference there to, uh, you talk about um, Marinus and, and Planet 14. Absolutely, there was lots of there was lots of those um, dropping references and homages throughout the way. Yeah, he talked about Marinus, Planet Fourteen. Yeah. I, I often wonder why why did it, why did he mention Marinus there? Um, what am I missing? There's a Doctor Who magazine comic strip where the the Vord uh, from the Keys of Marinus, the, the, the William Hartnell story, um, become the Cybermen. Brilliant! That, uh, right, that explains. It. Yeah, so that explains. Very, very I deliberately obscure. set you up for that. I knew all along. Ah, okay. <laughs> I was, uh, I was just testing. He says with a wink to the camera. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a nice way of tying everything up because it's always there's always been some, uh, you know, some kind of confusion, hasn't there, as to whether the all the Simon originated Mondas and then some of the move to Telos. This kind of had a stroke in a few lines of dialogue. Says it's just something that happens on a lot of planets. Um, and it and accounts for the different styles of Cybermen and things. And again, I've had a problem with Stephen Moffat, you know, redefining parts of who for himself. But I think that is actually a really sensible and a really clever way to do it. Yeah. And here we go with our first Cyberman battle scene, uh, yeah. the first of many Cybermen battle scene in this story. Um, and again, the menace that they managed to extract from that old 1960s design is really incredible, isn't it? It's excellent, isn't it? Yeah. Um, one thing I saw, uh, I, I didn't open the Doctor Who magazine that, that uh, came out this week until after I watched this episode, because I didn't want to know anything, but uh, in the, the preview, uh, Rachel um, Talalay talks about how she never really got a Cyberman battle with the Dark Water, um, yeah. the, the, the two-part finale of Series 8, so she really wanted to make amends this time. And she really goes for it, doesn't she? There's some some great stuff. 
Oh, fantastic. I love this. Yeah. We did, I still don't know whether she's telling the truth or not. Yeah, it, it's left very ambiguous, isn't it? Even right to the end, we're still not sure, and I think that's I think that's that's fantastic. Yeah. But again, we have the, the redemptive aspect. The doctor is the almost the confessor, right in the middle of all this battle. The, the doctor's still thinking about his confession and yeah. and thinking about his mission to to save Missy. I think that's great. Absolutely. And then we have Nardole's ambiguity where we saw him run off and we're thinking, oh my goodness, is yeah. Nardole running out? And then, Nardole, have you been useful? <laughs> what a great entrance. Because that, that was what the talk about Nardole early on was, wasn't it? He was the ultimate survivor. Um, he'd always mm -hmm. look out for himself. So in a way, he's he's been um, changed by being with the Doctor as well. One again, one of the problems I had was I didn't really see this because we, we we did we got the the pre sort of season publicity the pre series publicity was Nardole has an ambiguous um, you know an ambiguous past mm. and we never really got a flavour of that but we're starting to get it now in this episode we're starting to see it yeah there's been just a few hints hasn't there about he's had different faces and he's had a criminal yeah. past and uh... I love that that effect the blaster effect from the helmet that's really cool yeah. Yeah, because the um, these the original Cybermen in, in Tenth Planet had that kind of bulky unit that they held, didn't they? That zapped people. Yeah, I was watching Revenge of the Cybermen, the making of Revenge of the Cybermen with Michael Bryant, and he said that these were intended as soldiers. So it was it was you know why wouldn't they have some weaponry built in? And I always thought that made a lot of sense. You yeah. know, if you were going to build yourself a, a survival unit, you'd build yourself a, a, a yeah. you'd build yourself some weaponry. So I think that's a really cool. This is a lovely little vignette between the two of them, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, they, they, they both come in and say the same thing to Nardo. Yeah. yeah. And it's just that it's completely unnecessary, but they just enjoy being nasty. That's what, yeah, just for their own amusement. One thing I get with John Sim all the way is that, you know, he's a serious actor. He's done many, many things. And he plays this with absolute conviction, doesn't he? Not a yeah. blink, not a mug. You know, yes. In World Again and Time, he was World Enough and Time. He was fabulous as Mr. Razor. I yeah. loved him as that. Um, but when he's evil, he's straight down the line evil. I think that's great. And he suits the goatee beard so much. Uh, again, it, it's it, it's the proper master homage, isn't it? Yeah, and it it, it really suits him. You think um, it's it's a shame he didn't have it in one of his other appearances. So back to the back to the bucolic upper deck. Um, and we see we see where our heroes are about to make their stand. That's it. It's and that was Nardol being very doctory, wasn't it? Yeah, taking control and uh... yeah, and, and now we've got um, Bill uh, apparently back as uh, back as a human. Um, yeah, it went a bit sixth sense here, didn't it? It went a bit sort of, you know, it went a bit sort of, why, why, you know, why can't she see herself? I, I understand why they did that. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, it was a, it was there wasn't much mystery behind it. No, and it's it's very much like um, the fragment of Clara in Asylum of the Daleks, isn't it? Oh, what a good thought! Yeah, I never thought of that. That's uh, really that's 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 exactly what it's like. Yeah, she, she. That's exactly what it's like. She has to have it pointed out to her that she um, that she isn't herself, and it's the same thing. It's that mental resilience that's allowed her to um, 
you know, to not realise and to maintain her own personality and not be absorbed. Yeah. Or... But it's, it's the reactions of everyone else to her, isn't it? That's uh, mm. that's great here. Yeah. Yes, we've got our bill back. Yeah. But really, we haven't, you know. Um, I, no, I think this really, this bit of dialogue here, you can tell. You, you can tell right from here, she's a Cyberman. Yeah. Um, and it's great that, uh, that so, they've done it this way because... I'm a, so, go on. Yeah, sorry, Mark. No, sorry, Mark. I was just going to say, I'm actually a bit surprised that uh, they didn't try to make Cyberman gender neutral. Um, you know, it, it, it's cyber person, cyber people, yeah. cyber race. You know, it, it's cyber man. It, it jars a little bit. Um, Especially when um, Bill picked the doctor up on, on Time Lord in the last episode, yeah, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. The... Um, Spare parts, they explain that, don't they, by having that as uh, the um, the jobs as, like, uh, is it, is it yes. nurse Doctor man? man. Yeah, doctor yes. man, yeah, as, it's, as part of the language, yeah. Uh, but I think I was going to say it's great they've done it this way because we get another episode with Pearl Mackey. Um, oh, black. And it would have been, it had she, had you just seen him as a Cyberman all the time, that would have been an awful lot of dialogue in that, in that voice, um, and you'd got none of the emotion or... Uh, Right. She'd have been. She'd have been the next Michael Kilgariff. Yeah. And then this bit with the mirror, really, really nice. The way the camera uh, tracks around. And... What this made me uh, think of, and there's a couple of points in here. Yeah, the pilot when she looks at a reflection uh, in the puddle and realizes there's something wrong with it. Yes. And if, well, I think that's that's all the the, the recurring theme, isn't it? The, the, this this notion of reflection and seeing yourself and mm. and looking back at what you see, and a little foreshadowing of uh, of Heather's return that we're going to see. There's um, there's another point a bit later on. I mentioned now because I'll probably miss it when there's a tear, uh, and she says, "Is that engine oil to the doctor?" Which is yes. what the puddle was made of, wasn't it? it? Was the alien ship engine oil? Um, yes. So, and I think Steve Moffat does that, doesn't he? He puts these little clues in that make you remember a previous thing without it being really explicit. Um, and here we have the Doctor starting the thing. You were being kind. I, I, I have yeah. to say, the one thing I love about this episode, it has kindness as its DNA. Yeah. What a great message in the you know in the world we live in, in all the horribleness we see. Isn't it great that you know a prime time TV show? The main take-home message is just be kind to everyone. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. That's the show I'm proud of. Yeah. It's terrific. And then um, what, what we realise... This is a lovely is, little piece, isn't it? Yeah. He's... Uh, her slow realisation and the Doctor carefully breaking it to her. What we realise shortly is as well that he's he's already been sort of dealt his lethal injury... Um, when that Cyberman grabbed him and electrocuted him on the roof, uh, he, yes. he's holding back regeneration uh, from this point, which is it's a bit like Caves of Androzani, isn't it? Where he's. Uh, I think that's. I, I was going to say. I suspect that's probably a deliberate sort of reference back to caves. Um, and it's very, it's very interesting them talking the way that they've used the Cyberman, the way that they've developed the Cybermen here, as you know, and I've seen it mentioned and bandied around in a few reviews and a few discussions of last week's episode. Cybermen as body horror, yeah, as the invasion, uh, you know, as, as as the fear of, of 
not what they can do, but what they embody, what mm. they represent. And I think that's a real interesting, a real interesting dimension for the Simon. It's always been implicit, but I think what we get is that the, the explicit. They're going to make you like them because they think you're doing them a favour. Yeah. Now the problem with that is, of course, that's what we had with the Borg, and that's where it's very difficult to differentiate the Cybermen from the Borg because you know you start getting that idea of well, actually, we're going to make you like us, we're going to absorb you, we're going to make you better. So I think that that's 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 a dangerous, you know, a sort of a difficult path to tread without being harking back to too many other times that this has been done in science fiction. But yeah. I think they do it. I think yeah. do it very well. I think what they did here, especially last week, was the amount of time that the conversion takes, and it's agony the whole time. Um, yeah. And it's done in dialogue in this one, but about how they throw the body away, and you know, it's uh, they say yeah, something like the bits and pieces. Yeah, it is quite brutal, isn't it? Especially yeah. when they talk about the children. Yeah. Yeah, it's not something they can show, but but do with dialogue, isn't it? So. These little reveals, like when she sees her own shadow. And it's the cyber handles. It's uh, yes, it's great. Rachel Teller does a fabulous job here, doesn't she? I mean, in, you know, in in this these these two episodes, she's this has been a real treat, and it's been a real treat to look at as well, hasn't it? Yeah, so pleased she's back for the Christmas shot. special. Uh, it's uh, very fitting that she's uh, she's directing the Doctor's final uh, this Doctor's finale for <clears> Christmas. Yeah, and then now Dull's, uh, let's say, he's, great. he's doing a lot of doctorish stuff here, isn't he? Just uh, keeping people distracted as well, something the um, the doctor often does, you know, stop them being afraid or, or thinking too much. And they're never, you know, yeah, they use Matt Lucas's great comic timing. I mean, yeah, nothing to be nothing to be ashamed of there. He's, he's a very full guy. And, you know, it's a plus, so use him. And I think that very well but you're right you can see the development of him into a leader now, you never thought he'd be a leader no uh, yeah and this this bit with the uh, with the tear this sort of engine oil reference a bit of foreshadowing and then the master come, coming over I love the bit a bit later on when he's putting his eyeshadow on as well <laughs> yes <laughs> Yeah, and then just rubbing it in with Bill, just saying, oh, it was, uh, spent 10 years pretending to be Razor and worth it just to get to the doctor. And the, uh... Now, see, if, it was that, if she was that boring for 10 years, why didn't he upgrade her earlier? You know, five years wouldn't have been a day. So, you know, I, I, <laughs> I've got... It's all very well him taunting her like this. It's, yeah, because it's, he, he says to the Doctor, oh, you only missed her by a couple of hours. It was like he, he waited until they knew that the Doctor was at the lift and would yeah. be arriving imminently, wasn't it? Um, I guess he wanted her to be there still and not have been sent off. Prolonging the torture, perhaps. Yes, that, yeah. is, an interest, that is an interesting thought. That is an interesting thought. I do hope we're going to get a big finished series of Mr. Razor. I would be very, very happy <laughs> to have the Mr. Razor adventures. Um, yeah. 
you know, in this episode, Mr. Razor watches the doctor uh, raise a finger three inches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and here we go, family of the obvious family of blood. And then we have, as you say, the 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 the, the hark back to the to the regen energy. We know what's coming. It hasn't sort of hidden away from the regeneration. It hasn't tried to pretend it's not gonna happen. It's now really, you know, it's getting every ounce out of it, isn't it? Yeah. But it points to a problem that I have later on that I have with last year's, uh, last series finale, where the doctor shot that general and said, oh, time lords, debt on Gallifrey, debt's like a common cold. Well, hang on a second. Here we have a man who is clearly fighting with every fibre of his being against powerful artron energy to regenerate. Yeah. So I'm going to lay that out there as one of my key sort of objections. Um, and we'll that. park it. But it's just something that I it's just something that I think of. Um because now we're into some really, really good stuff here. Yeah. Um yeah, I've got some points about that as well. We'll uh, we'll talk about it at the end. It's um the- This bit here, the classic moment of realisation. We're not gonna do it it's in every bit of fiction. We always see it, don't we? We're not gonna make this, are we? Yeah. We're not gonna get out of this. We're really upping the stakes for the audience. You know, it's almost like Stephen Moffat saying, look, I've tricked you before, but there's no trick here. There's going to be death, there's going to be destruction, and it's going to be bad. It's, and and this is a very tricky, a very tricky ethical question here, isn't it? I don't want to live if I can't be me anymore. Mm. Wow. I mean, that's powerful stuff. That resonates with a lot of the assisted suicide cases we see. Yeah. You know, what a powerful statement there. And I don't think we ever get any sort of, definitive answer from the doctor no what we get is is the reference back to hope he doesn't answer the question and again this this sort of notion of tears um i watched planet of the spiders the other day and of course it was the last thing that pertwee said wasn't it tears sarah jane yeah i hadn't thought about that yeah because there are a few um there's there's lines at the end of the episode isn't there which are some doctor's final lines and things yeah um but yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't come across. And um, yeah, maybe it's me reading to me. too much into it, but perhaps a little callback to Planet of the Spiders there. Yeah, I can't, I can't help but think it's, uh, it's bound to be, isn't it? Because there's, um, there's a lot of Pertwee-isms yeah. in in Peter Capaldi, and uh, his costume is uh, harks back to that style, doesn't it? And then last week we had the Venusian Aikido. Yes, yes, we did. He does those. Um, he does those on-set shots where he does that um, very pertwee pose of pointing to something as well, and uh... <laughs> and of course we have the evolution of the hair from the yes. flatness of Spearhead <laughs> and you know deep breath to the to the Capaldi magnificence we see before us. Yeah. The master as well. Here he's going kill it, kill it, kill it. He's just so vicious with everything, isn't he? <laughs> He, he's truly, he is truly a person lost. You mentioned Star Trek a couple of times. These are very like the the holodeck door, aren't they? From um, that's just what I was thinking. The next generation, where once you're in a simulation, the, the door appears and uh, is the way out. And again, what we get is a lovely explanation of the different types of cyber people. Yeah. Um, you know, why does it look different? And and the fact that they've evolved similar to the way Simon evolved uh, in other places, you, you imagine that the Masters had some input as well from what he's seen previously. 
he's because uh, he's guided and shaped this, hasn't he, on the on this deck? Absolutely, absolutely. Another my, another idea in my Mister Razor Big Finish box set. Um, you know, Mister Razor designs the Cybermen. Yeah, I was, I was saying last week. I like the idea of because um, he, he presumably had a long time when he knew that because uh, of the time dilation sort of thing. When Bill was on his way down, of choosing a costume for Razor choosing an accent and things like that. You can, uh, <laughs> you can get a box yeah. out of that as well as he, uh, as he trials different personalities. So here they come. It's, uh... Oh, this is great, isn't it? This is great. And this is genuine sort of stuff we couldn't have seen in Classic Who. The production values we see are great. You know, I think I think this is a real sort of real piece of work. Yeah. The the I just the idea of this spaceship being four hundred miles long and having different things on different decks. Such a brilliant idea. Mm, it um, really is. It really it really sort of captures your imagination, I think. And the, again, as I say, the contrast between the the, the countryside, the bucolic, the, 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 the urban and the smoky and the smoggy, and then right at the top of the ship, the clean lines of the flight deck, I think it's great. Yeah. And here's the Pionic uh, Sightliner. It's just, uh, just such a little throwaway thing, but it's so nice. Now we really are into sort of Magnificent Seven territory, aren't we? You know, the, the, we're at the village, we're making our stand. They've even got it explicit, you know, it, it even looks like, um, you know, a bit of the Seven Samurai village. So we've got our, we've got our, you know, our locals making their stand. Oh, bit of guy liner there. Why not? So, yeah. And then in a little while we see the doctor sitting on the, the porch or veranda type thing, doesn't he? And that's very yes. Western looking with the... Uh, Kind of the wooden uh, balustrade around it. And... Yes. And then uh, an escape through a, a ventilation shaft or a uh, a service duct, isn't it? That's classic. Well, that's, that is that is de rigueur in Doctor yeah. Who. Isn't it? That's what you that's what you pay your money for. One thing I found about this when I first watched it, but I'm actually not getting now, I thought it was a little slow moving off. I thought it was a little sort of, you know, the, we spent a lot of time in, in, in prep work. But actually, and, and watching this the second time, and this is only the second time I've seen it, so you're kind of getting my reactions fairly raw mm -hmm. um, and fairly ill-considered. Um, it's now moving along a lot quicker. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe the, the the black hole is playing its tricks on my perception of the episode as well. Yeah. It does. It does build the atmosphere really well, doesn't it? Of, uh, of impending mm. doom. I genuinely think I've enjoyed this as much as I've enjoyed any series finale. I, I really do. Yeah. Um, and, and I think because it doesn't try and do too much. You know, the masters are resolving themselves. They're resolving their own difficulties. There's not the need to focus on them. What we're mm. getting is a very simple story. A yeah. very simple story of a village under siege, uh, reluctant, brilliant heroes, but only a few of them, against overwhelming odds. Classic story, being told a million times, but they do it really, really well here. Yeah. It's great to have so many scenes of just the two masters together. Mm. Um, yeah. And Gomez and, and Sim really firing off each other. Yeah. 
I was, I, 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 again, I was never sort of particularly sold on Missy. But this series, she's been another one whose arc has really, really endeared herself to me. Yeah. She's underplayed it, and she's gone crazy when she needed to. She's had that hint of menace. There was that when, when uh, at the start of the last episode, she said, uh, Pearl Mackey said, she scares me. Yeah. And I could see, yeah, I could see how she does. You know, and is that a little lovely hark back there we see to the Pertwee dematerialization circuit? It's lovely. It's the same design, isn't it? Um, and there was all those shenanigans with the Doctor and the Master, with kind of the Doctor stole his dematerialization circuit, yes. and the, the Doctor can never get us to work. It was always like a bit of a back and forth, wasn't it? Absolutely. And then a very, uh, very rude joke there that uh, <laughs> they sneak. <laughs> And of course, if you're going to be under siege, you've got to be under siege at night in your bedroom. You've got to have a bit of bedroom because that makes it scary. That's it, yeah, um, for the kids, isn't it? But uh, I, again, if I sound like I'm being dismissive of that, I'm absolutely not. This is very, very effective and it works really well. Um, you know, we, we know the tools that he's using. Um, I won't say Stephen Moffat's greatest hits, but, it, you know, we know what he can do and we know how adept he is at manipulating the circumstances and manipulating the plot to really sort of accentuate the, the drama. And he does that. Mm. Uh, and that was a bit of the Doctor on the rocking chair there. Was a yeah, that's it. Really nice Western-looking uh, scene. Uh, this is the start of um, Nardole and Hazran's romance. Uh, but great, yeah, just the most unlikely companion and then getting a real classic companion send-off I thought was a nice... Uh, uh, and, and, and that question there, who loved you? That, yeah. that, that was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. There's, there's a lot more that can be done with, uh, with this character, isn't there, in, in, in spin-off and... Uh, I might media. put them in my Mr. Razor box set. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll have to have a think about how I work that out. Yeah. Uh, but he, he does. Stephen Moffat has left so much um, for because it's something he said that he wanted to do for Big Finish, isn't it? That he, he would leave kind of gaps and things. Um, one of um, the real shames I have, one of the real problems I have, is every series of Doctor Who since two thousand and five has had a Stephen Moffat spectacular in it. Mm. I'm going to miss that. Yeah. You know, because, yes, the, the, there has been criticisms of his reign, there's been criticisms of the way he's done certain things, but you were guaranteed one glorious episode, a series, where he just let the chains off and, and was just brilliant. Yeah. It would be lovely in a couple of years if uh, Chris Chibnall can tempt him back um, <laughs> to do a bottle episode, like like kind of listen and think, oh, you know, extremist, mm. that kind of thing, that he can just just deliver a brilliant idea. And presumably they have a lot well, more time to, to work on it as well. Possibly. I mean, Rusty's resisted, hasn't he? RTD yeah. hasn't come back. Um, yeah, it's a shame as well. Because um, he did. He came back for the Sarah Jane adventure, didn't he? And, did the, and wasn't that gorgeous? Wasn't that absolutely doctor. brilliant? Yeah. Um, the sad thing about those, I always think, is that uh, the original plan was to have Nicholas Courtney in uh, the wedding yes. of Sarah Jane and... The death of the Doctor, and that would have been lovely to have uh, seen him with the tenth and then the eleventh Doctors. And here we go on. I'm going to be quiet here. 
because this is actually my favourite bit of the whole episode. It's great. The Master and the Doctors. This mm. is just... There have been better speeches in Doctor Who, perhaps, but I can't think of them offhand. Yeah. What it really made me think of about winning and blaming people was sort of Trump. You know, you are saying earlier about the, the world we live in now and, and kindness being a good message. It's, you know, they, they talk about Donald Trump, you know, when he talks about a deal, he can never sort of, uh, you know, come up with a deal where both parties, uh, you know, kind of get, he's always got to have won and always got to have done the best. Uh, and then his whole kind of... And I mean, I think that's true. The, the Brexit negotiations as well, that's the, the illusion there of one side wins and one side loses. And well, can't we just have doing something for goodness sake, doing something for kindness sake, doing something that helps people? Absolutely. The tone of that is so awful, isn't it? You know, the, the, the countries that we've been in a union with for 44 years who are our nearest neighbours and allies and the, the, the rhetoric from that, particularly the kind of gutter press, but but from the government as well, you know, with Theresa May saying, oh, I'm going to be a bloody difficult woman and things like that. It's, it doesn't have to be like that. It's, uh... and, and here we have the doctor. I'll stand here doing it. I'm going to, I'm going to stand because it's kind. Yeah. And he's, and, and you know, there's going to be a cutting comment coming from John Sim. Yeah. You know, there is, but it doesn't matter. What would you die for? He's, he's delivering it to Missy, isn't he really? Um, I yes. think, although he's looking at John Sim more, you feel that he's really he's really trying to get through to Missy. I love that line. Who I am is where I stand, and where I stand is where I fall. Yeah. That will define this episode for me. I think that's fantastic. It's a classic quote, isn't it? So uh, it's absolutely the, fantastic. The one you'll see on the calendars and uh, yeah. uh, everything else in the future. And as you say, the master is just, uh, <laughs> it's all gone in one ear out the other. I didn't, I wasn't sure what the significance was when he, he takes Missy's hand because he did it on the roof of the hospital earlier, didn't he? And um... I wondered about that and I wondered if there was some sort of connection between the two in the way that the doc connected with Bill. You know, the wait for me, whether he's been seeding consciousness to her or something. Never made explicit that, it's just my own head cannon. Yeah. Um, I thought that because it um, it does affect her, doesn't it, each time he does it? Hmm? But whether it is just that physical contact that that character isn't used to. Yeah. Because they, they push everyone away. And then obviously what we'll see later is the, the doctor never finds out that he did get through to her. Which is, uh, it's another kind of tragic side to this story, isn't it? He, um, it absolutely is. He doesn't find it out that Bill survives is. and he doesn't find out that, uh, that Missy was partly redeemed. But thanks for trying. What a... Oh, this is great. And then the uh, the little girl standing up to the the advancing with an apple. Army, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a really nice idea. This about the it's, it, 
it isn't really a field or it is a spaceship so you can blow parts of it up yeah we're using the environment against them we're making use of the of, of, of our weaponry oh it, it is it's a classic sort of it's a classic riff but it's a riff that works so well yeah and seeing them uh, advance in the in the darkness or as the sun's coming up it's very uh Say Night of the Living Dead type stuff, isn't it? As they, mm. uh, because it's that the slow walk towards them as well, the inevitability. The little girl's very good as well. Uh, very there natural, really isn't, isn't a, a bad performance in this, is there? No. Sometimes with the child actors, they're, uh, they're, they're not... They can really, be a bit iffy. Yeah. She's very natural. She is. She's good. great. Uh, probably notice them all kind of on a second or third watching because the first time it's all the big events. <clears throat> but she's uh, she's great. Lovely little pun there. The Apple upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then this is the the change. It's uh, they're not coming to. Uh, to grab the children anymore, they're, uh, it's going to be a military assault. Again, wonderful sort of, wonderful play by Capaldi here. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, putting a brave face on it, isn't he? He's reassuring everybody. But no, and this is, uh, this is his last stand. There is something absolutely irresistible about the heroic last stand as well. Yeah. You know, no matter how many times it's written, no matter how many times we know what's going to happen, it's absolutely fantastic. And I mean, we know where this is going. We absolutely know this is his last story. Mm. This is his last full story. We've got him at Christmas. But this is the this is the end for him in some way. So we know that's what's going to happen. And that makes the story that much more powerful. Yeah. It's not like this is part, you know, this is story six. And we know that in story seven, he's going to pop up on a new planet. Mm. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the his decline now, isn't it? Inevitable uh, leaving, and it's that thing. It's like Androzani, although we don't really you don't really get it from watching Androzani the first time. But this time, we we know that he's fighting back the regeneration. Yeah, I completely didn't know that at the time. Right. It was only till somebody told me that at the end of episode three, I think it was, that he was fighting back the regeneration energy. I sort of missed that. Yeah. But now it's been made a lot more explicit, and I'm very glad. Maybe maybe Stephen Moffat and the production team missed it as well, and they just won't tell anyone. Yeah. Uh, but it adds, it adds it at that other level, doesn't it, that you know that he's got that internal um, it does. fight as well. One thing I'm going to miss as well is the way that Doctor says Nardole. He, like, properly enjoys it, doesn't he? Yeah. Nardole. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. brilliant performance by Matt Lucas here. Mm. Really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed the way that he's brought Nardole into into from from a small bit of comic relief, which is what he was in the you know in the Husbands of River song, to a genuine a genuine companion, a genuine part of the Tardis team. Yeah. I think he's been wonderful. It's been and, and just as I was saying before, just one season with these three isn't enough, is it? It's like the fourth Doctor, Sarah Jane, and Harry. 
yeah. getting the one season. It is like all the best bits of Doctor Who. They have that small, contained feel to them. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the Eccleston first series, um, the Doctor and Donna Noble, and now we have this team. You only get a bit of them, and, and that's what makes it that's what makes it great. That's what makes it precious. Yeah. This farewell when he, uh, he says, "I'll never think of the right words," because that that kind of is his <laughs> character as well, isn't it? That he's um, exactly. He's not. He's not particularly articulate or anything else. He's just. Uh, but he's come through for them when it when it counts. Yes, again, I'm just getting sucked in here. This yeah. is great. <laughs> this is the trouble, isn't it? As we, uh, <laughs> it's really cool. Because the last 15, 20 minutes, uh, even compared to the rest of the episode, are amazing. Yeah, yeah tune in, folks, to hear us go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> but now you've got rid of the villagers, you almost think, right, here we are. We're getting to the, we're getting to the meat of the sandwich here. Yeah. We know what's going to happen. It's going to kick right The day has been saved. What's going to happen now? And this last scene with the two masters is great, isn't it? Yeah. And the thing I liked mm. about it was I didn't expect it. I mean, I didn't. Yeah. I, I knew there'd be a reckoning of some description, yeah. but I didn't expect it to be like this. No. I kind of like the idea that they would go off travelling together, but uh, this is uh, this is much better. And it obviously makes more sense of uh, them not being her not being able to remember it, because obviously she'd know what was going to come. And there was that line there. I loved being you every second of it. Yeah. Um, a call back to, I think, um, oh, Time Crash. The, time the, Crash, the, yeah. Is it Children in Need one? Yeah, um, the 10th Doctor, where, the 5th Doctor, isn't it? Yeah. The tenant met a little homage there, I think. Yeah. Either that or he really is out of ideas and is just reusing really dialogue, <laughs> but Uh, but totally different, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, it's it's of uh, you know I like being you because she was unfettered by any sort of consci uh, conscience or <laughs> and of course the the not so subtle message that the the biggest uh, hatred that baddies have is for themselves. So yeah. you know the the master killing himself or herself was an obvious sort of uh, conclusion. I like this because uh, we we got the line in. I think Pyramid at the end of the... No, The Lie of the Land, when uh, Missy says, I do have adventures without you, you know. And see, this master yeah. has, has done a lot since we last saw him at the end of time. He's, he's sort of visibly a bit older and he's... Uh, yes. Um, he's, he's been on that ship for a long time, but he could have done loads of stuff as well. So <clears throat> plenty of scope for, for, uh, for spin-offs and to bring him back as well. Well, the great joy of the master is you're never, you're never free, are you? You're never free of her or him. Yeah. Yeah, every showrunner is going to be tempted to uh, oh, to bring yeah. them back, give their own take on it, their own casting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, until this series, it never really occurred to me that you know a multi-master story would be a thing. Uh, well, I, I know Big Finish did one. Um, yeah. I think they did one, didn't they? They, they did. Yeah, heard. actually, yeah. Sorry, I had heard that, and it's um, it is very, very good. And it worked really well, and, and that was what got me thinking. This could work. Interesting, you know, notice the the scalp on the, the the scar on Peter Capaldi's scalp. The the, the sort of the, the fact that you see him bleeding. Again, another sort of common cinematic trick to show vulnerability. Yeah. Um, 
practitioner weakness. Um, you rarely see the doctor scarred and no. battered. Yeah, probably uh, the end of time was uh, was probably the last time I can think of, or one of the most notable times. Once he's crashed through the ceiling of the the Naismith Mansion. Yes. And then, yeah, another scene with the two masters here. And she doesn't make it back, the Doctor never knows. Well, they say Time Lords are linked, so maybe, yeah. maybe he knew, maybe he realised. But then I suppose that leaves it for, for the next Master, um, just to be evil or whatever they want to do with it, doesn't it? There's, uh, without the expectation from the Doctor that that they can be good, he or she can be good. And then they get that, that skeleton effect when the Master shoots her in the back. Reminded me of, of the Master in the End of Time, where his, yes. his skull, as the, as the energy went through him, uh, kept showing. And then the reaction is just a laugh, it's great. Yeah, we just say we're getting sucked in, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we are. It is because it's great. What do they need? What, they don't need me to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> this speaks for itself. This is wonderful. Um, and again, right now, as we as we speak, this episode is working so so well yeah. as a, as a conclusion. I mean, really is. You know, we're up to what? We're up to ninety minutes of high quality television that we've had. Yeah, with with the world enough and time, and this really really high quality stuff. I love the, the, the laugh is a real evil master laugh as he descends in the it, lift. It's a, it? a touch of the Ming of Ming, uh, Ming the Merciless at yeah. the end of Flash Gordon laugh as well, isn't it? The, yeah. You know, you haven't seen the last of me. <laughs> it's because uh, Anthony Ainley would, would laugh like that a lot as well, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. And he had lovely chuckles. Yeah. I, actually th I actually think they, they employed him for his chuckles. Yeah. <laughs> and as is tradition, um, the master dead at the end of the story. Or perhaps yeah. question mark. Uh, this battle here now with the the Doctor running around amongst the Cybermen as they're thrown <laughs> around. It made me think they'd got uh, Havoc back. The uh, yes, the, the stunt team from the Purple Year, because that's the the sort of throwing around that they used to do, isn't it? And I'll tell you as well. This is where I got my prediction entirely wrong. Here we go, Planet Fourteen. Every time you lose, um, yeah. I, I, I was thinking, are we in the middle of a simulation here? I saw a couple of people on Twitter. Gareth Roberts, didn't he? Um, yeah, I thought this was it. Was it. I thought that, we're yeah. in the middle of a simulation. Yeah. Yeah, he mentions a lot of former Cyberman stories there, doesn't he? With, uh, he doesn't here we go. The, the classic callback. No, no, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. I am the doctor. A line he's used so many times. Yeah. Well, I say so many times. He used it in Robot, and he used it in the Five Doctors, didn't he? Yeah, that that thing, the original, you might say. I, I was thinking that is that Richard Herndl? Yes, it is. Yeah. Which which ties in beautifully, obviously, for another recasting of of the First Doctor. Uh, oh. We're gonna get. Uh, I was gonna say with the the callbacks to uh, all the Sideman stories there. Uh, he doesn't mention winter, does he? 
<laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Uh... I think Courtney Pine time locked that. Yeah. <laughs> and and in being killed by the original Cybermen as the first Doctor was in Tenth Planet. Absolutely. The this Doctor being, um, you know, the first Doctor of a new regeneration cycle. It's a nice, nice mirroring as well. Uh, and I think that um, that series eight thing of you know, am I a good man and uh, and whatnot is because the first Doctor wasn't a hero to begin with, was he? He sort of no, not at all. He found he was, that he as he went along and very ambiguous. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I mean, that was my interpretation of series eight. That was the he was going on a similar sort of journey, um, and then realizing that he is the Doctor, he is the hero at the end. And he's almost answered the question in this series, hasn't he? He's mm-hmm. almost answered his own question. So yeah. if he has had an arc, it has been, am I a good man? Well, be kind. And you That's can ima- his question. You can imagine his last lines being something uh, yeah. tying back to that as well. And now we have the reprise, sort of almost epilogue to the story with, with Nadal. Yeah, still waiting for them. But it's, it's quite dark as well, isn't it? Because there is the assumption that uh, there are some Cybermen left. Yeah, yeah, they're going to get them eventually. They will come back for them. But Nardo's got a, got a bit of time to, to think of something. And... Yeah. But he's, he, he has left, if should Chris Chibnall choose to ever bring back Bill or Nardo, He's given them. He's given them a satisfying exit, um, while at the same time leaving the possibility open for to revisit them as well, hasn't he? I have to confess, if you were, if, I, I'm, I've always said I'd never want to write for Doctor. I think it's too difficult. I think there's too much attached to it. But if I was Chris Chibnall, I wouldn't touch this ever again. Yeah. This has just been too well written and too beautifully, beautifully set to to try and interfere with. Yeah. You know, how would you revisit? revisit this the emotion of the two yeah. i think that's the mistake that Stephen moffat's made a couple of times going back to a companion when actually they had a beautiful send-off i think with you know, Rose Cla- clara should should have gone a couple of times yeah i think with rose as well and uh, bringing yeah, her back exactly. a couple of times uh, that, this with the bill cyberman walking through the devastation here it's very sort of no man's land isn't it it really is um, and this is where I thought we were going to get the simulation reveal, because it looked to me to be calling back to the uh, to, to the simulation here. So I thought, oh, here we go. This is where I, I proved that I knew what was going on all along. Big shot coming out now. Yeah, and we're not because that um, <laughs> that view that the monks give the, the the sort of generals and things of of the world is like that's what I thought. There. But instead, we get a call back further. Yeah. I think we, we said in the pilot, didn't we, that uh, Bill's exit could well be ended up travelling with Heather. Um, yes. But it's it's been forgotten about over the weeks, so it was uh, it was a, a surprise. I'm very yeah. glad to see Heather back. I think she I, I, I thought she she had a, a something definitely something about her. Yeah. And clearly, you know, the production team did as well because they they, they brought her back. Yeah. And it's lovely to see Pearl back. And, you know, uh, freed from the Cyberman costume, the ultimate human expression of life. 
yeah. you know, the, the big kiss at the end, fantastic. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, before this, saw people on Twitter saying, oh, well, I hope uh, because of the, the sort of the pattern of, you know, apparently killing companions off and they're not. But how could you want her killed off? She's so great. She's uh, Oh, she's fantastic. She's fantastic. Yeah, and that thing about the tears not being mine didn't really, uh, you know, it was one of those things that Stephen Moffat seeds that you don't think is going to be big um, and then turns out to be crucial. Uh, I like those little things that you think are throwaway, like the yeah. uh, Daleks again when he when the Doctor says, you know, how did where did you get the eggs from for the souffle? Yeah, and you think it's just a funny line, but it is, uh, it's the key to it. Now, here's a question for you, and this is my again my own personal head cannon, so it is absolutely nothing to you know. If, if people are listening and think I'm talking rubbish, then they are absolutely entitled to. They won't change my mind on this. But has the Doctor always been near the TARDIS when he's regenerated? I think he always has. Yeah, I think so as well. And in that first, or in in the aftermath in Power of the Daleks after the first regeneration, he talks about it being part of the TARDIS, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I wonder. I've I've always thought that the, the the Doctor's regeneration and the Tardis are sort of inextricably linked. Now let's have a think. Legopolis, the Tardis is sort of nearby. That's how I deal with that. Yeah, Planet, <laughs> Planet of the Spiders, same, isn't it? It's, yeah, um, it's it's not so far away. So you know, maybe maybe it's it's, it's yeah. a little tenuous. Um, the um, the hospital one in in the TV movie is probably the furthest he is away from. Possibly, yeah, possibly, Tardis, isn't it? Uh, and that's a, a difficult one for him, isn't it? Because he's actually, he actually dies. Yeah. First. Now, again, without wishing to spoil what is a brilliant, brilliant ending, this is a little bit similar to to, to Clara's leaving, isn't it? Yeah, tra- traveling with um, with another time traveler. You know, let's let let's take the long way around back in time for tea. You know. Yeah. Sort of years, but okay. If, I suppose if the idea works well, we've just had a we've just had a hugely enjoyable forty minutes of the Seven Samurai, yeah. so you know <laughs> you might as well reinvent the wheel, uh, yeah. not reinvent the wheel. What I like uh, with Heather is that when she was the sort of the or the, the apparent enemy in um, in the pilot, you know it was scary that she was awesomely powerful and could travel anywhere yeah. in time and space to um, to chase them, and then it becomes key to saving them here. Uh, yeah. To save and, him, Bill, that she can go anywhere and find her. And she's just being kind. Mm. It's nice the way they just step out as well. They don't sort of turn into energy and zoom off. Or <laughs> Yeah. It, uh, it's quite a nice, simple, just stepping out the doors close. And then I love this. The uh, very like yeah. the old regenerations, isn't it, of um, remembering former companions. Oh yeah, this is a depper. Well, I remember at the start, P, um, Stephen Moffat said he loved Logopolis, yeah. and there was that bit where, yeah, here we go. It's even like Logopolis, isn't it? Yeah, Doctor. And they 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 mention Logopolis early. Well, obliquely mention it, don't they? When the the two masters are asking the Doctor about the different ways he's died, and yeah. Missy says, and he says, "I know you've fallen." Yeah, 
because that's the only one that the master's been present for, isn't it? With, uh... There's a line that he used when he just regenerated. Santaran's pervert in the course of human history. He said that in Robot, I think. Yeah. And then the, there's the final lines of the 10th and 11th Doctors. And he stands a bit like Matt Smith as well, doesn't he? he holds, yes. He's got that... Uh... Uh, and the way the TARDIS is all lighting up and the music, so good. Yeah, you've probably lost me for a couple of minutes here. Yeah. Well, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right up to this point, you think, is this, uh, this going to be it? So it's unclear here whether, um, I thought whether Heather or the TARDIS have brought him to this point because she's setting the controls apparently, isn't she? Yeah, and again, something. nice little bit of ambiguity is one of them things. Yeah. Uh, and as you were saying earlier, he's railing against the uh, the change, isn't he? Yeah. Now, it's all very well him having this little monologue against whoever, um, but he didn't accord the general in Gallifrey that sort of, no. um, that opportunity. It's always a little bit of convenience, isn't it? Because I found that with, um, yeah. with with Russell T. Davis when David Tennant takes over um, and they're trying to obviously establish a new audience regeneration and the idea of a new Doctor. And he says, I'm the same man. I'm literally the same man. But by the time David Tennant leaves, he's saying, well, even if he regenerates, like a different man standing up and walking away. It's um, it's the sort of uh, the showrunner wanting the... Uh, Wanting the public to accept a new doctor, yeah. but then when they leave, wanting them to mourn them. Yeah. But here we have what a pit, what a, what a final scene. Yeah. And you recognise the voice first as well because he's doing such a good impersonation um, of the first doctor. It's like oh. with Alpha Centauri, isn't it? You recognise the voice, and and for the fans, it's like, oh, I know that voice. I feel like these two are going to be absolutely terrific together. Well, let's be right. Uh, David Bradley. Yeah, two two phenomenal actors. Uh, David well. Bradley and Peter Capaldi going head to head. What a Christmas present we've got. Yeah. Uh, so, and it, it seems like it's it could be well be set during um, the Tenth Planet. Uh, yes, it's, it's and, uh, looking. It's giving us that hint, isn't it? I have to say, I stayed relatively sort of spoiler-free for that, hmm. and I'm so glad I did. Yeah. Because what a treat it was! What an absolute treat it was to watch unspoiled. One of the things I don't know, um, I can't remember whether you talked about it on the podcast podcast last, but I think knowing that John Sim turned up did sort of diminish it a little bit for me. I mean, I don't think there's probably a way you could keep it secret. Yeah. And if the BBC were desperate to prop up the viewing figures, which, you know, I can imagine they were then, fair enough. Mm. But it would have been lovely to have the double reveal of, of John C. Bang, and then David Bradley is the first Doctor. It would have been absolutely what? fantastic, yeah. And same with the, with the old Cybermen as well. Um, yeah. But I guess that's that's the, 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 the tightrope they have to walk, isn't it, between publicity and... Absolutely, absolutely. And when you've got a when you've got a series that you know at times was kicking out under t under three million viewing figures on first watch, I know the overnights are important, uh, not important as as the sort of the consolidated, but really truly 
you know, the viewing figures haven't been as 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 huge as perhaps you would have wanted in this in this series. I don't think, and it's such a shame. Yeah, because you know, it, it it's possibly it's possibly really been my favourite Capaldi series. Uh, you know, it, it, that's one of them things that changes, isn't it? Which yeah. is your favourite series? Which is your favourite Doctor? Which is your favourite episode? I, I can never give a fixed answer to that. You ask me one day, it'll be you know Genesis of the Daleks. You ask me another day, it'll be you know the the Dalek invasion of Earth, it'll be Legopolis, it'll be State of Decay. So it's always difficult to pin your favourite. Yeah. But this has this has had um this has had some very, very good moments, it's had some not so good moments, and it's had really powerful TARDIS team, and I think that carries a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I've I've loved the Capaldi era. Um all of it. And uh, I think each season has been has been my favourite, so yeah, it's uh, it'll probably be a while before it sort of consolidates into uh, uh, into which one. Uh, so what what did you make of that final? What did you make of the finale? I absolutely loved it. Um, I thought it was a, a great payoff for last week's, um, a brilliant story. Like you say, it was they kept it simple, sort of fairly stripped back. I like the seven samurai idea, which is something Doctor hasn't really done before, is it? It's, uh, you've had the sort of base under siege. Yeah, it's, it, been, it's as... been it's been it's always been more the base under siege rather than the you know the the, the, the actual concept of the protecting the villagers. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's more uh, a crew, isn't it, or uh, or personnel yeah. that he's protecting than. Uh... And there's always someone you don't like, and there's always somebody who's obviously going to die, and there's yeah. obviously two love interests, and there's yeah, you know, the the base under siege under siege story fairly well served in Doctor Who, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is nice to, to to see a riff on that, and I think they've done that very effectively. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of in terms of does it match up to what we got last week? I think as far as it as as far as it can, I think it does. I think you know I was I was kind of pleasantly surprised because I that there have been others other two parters and other two part finales that I haven't enjoyed quite as much because there's been so much set up that they've had to almost go through a checklist of things when they've reached the end yeah. you know oh we'll do a bit of Gallifrey right we'll do this oh we've got to sort Clara out we've got to sort this out oh we've got me oh God, you know so there's been almost too much to do whereas this nice and simple. Nice yeah. and straightforward. But the masters resolved themselves. So this was a story about a man trying to be kind and making a stand, and and, and his friend who you know was was with him. And I thought that of itself worked really really well. The the problems I have, um, the the similarities with Clara's ending, I think are, are, are inescapable. Um, I think some of the incon the internal inconsistencies I have with what we know this doctor does and what we know this doctor thinks. Um, but like I say, these are these are these are quibbles of taste. It's like you know you you not liking tomatoes and me not liking apricots. It's you know it's not a criticism that I can generalise. It's not a criticism that I would say is absolutely damning. It's just a matter of taste. It's a matter. It's almost a matter of seasoning, isn't it? You know. Yeah. What do you absolutely. think here? What do you think there? So it, it's I would never I would never you know bang my fist and say this is a dreadful thing. This is very, yeah. you know because it's just the way that I perceive it. It's just that my slant is different and perhaps that's that's things about if you get something you don't particular that doesn't particularly suit you just hang around because there'll be something else coming up very soon and that's what we've got 
Yeah. That's what we've got. This is the we we just we just talked about the very last episodic Stephen Moffat show. You know, we've got a special, but they're always kind of different. I always think the Christmas specials are, are really, really difficult to write. You know, I mean, of all the Doctor Who's that are tough to write, the Christmas special's the one that I would like writing the least because they're impossible to put, they're, you know, they're yeah. very difficult to do properly. They're much um, broader, aren't they? And they're, they're viewed by uh, not, not just fans, but you get more people tuning in because it's Christmas Day. They're more standalone usually. Yeah. yeah, very, very difficult. I've, I found that I found the Christmas specials not so much to my taste. Um, some of them, and mm. some of them I've loved. Some of them I thought been absolutely fantastic. But I think it's been a harder, a harder gig to get right. Mm. Um, and and even though it's become sort of a tradition, it's still you know you still pretty much don't know what you're going to get when you put your hat in, when you put your hand in the brand tub. Yeah. Um, so we've commented, you know, we've commented on the on the on the on the last Stephen Moffat episode, if you like. But we're going to get Chris Chibnall, and who knows what that's going to bring? Who knows what changes that's going to bring? Who knows what Doctor that's going to bring? Yeah, you know. And I think that's the fascinating thing about Doctor Who. You know, if you don't like something, stick around. You'll get something different. Um, and you know, I remember when Matt Smith left. I thought this is terrible. He's got so much to give us, the Doctor. Yeah, and now look at where we're at. That's it. It's, it's big shoes to fill, isn't it? When the uh, yeah. when the next Doctor comes in. Uh, but no, I feel like that as well. Even even within the space of one season, uh, you know, if you don't like an episode one week, the next week it's a different writer, different director, different guest cast. Everyone will come away with a different favorite episode. Um, you know, from that season, come away from different things. It's not like other TV, is it? Where if you don't like, uh, you know, the Bake Off or something, you're not going to like an episode two or three weeks down the line. Yeah, it's like soap operas. I don't like soap operas. I don't like the format. Yeah. So no matter what happens in the soap, I'm not going to enjoy it. You know, and I accept that. And I, and I know, whereas with Doctor Who, I know that pretty much they're going to do something I'm going to like because I like the way that the show works and I like the format of the show. So it, it's, it's, it's really interesting. You've got this, you've got this pretty rigid straitjacket format and yet, actually, you've got so much scope for change within it, and so much you can you can alter, and so in, oh, uh, it's 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 wonderful. I mean, one of the things I've heard about uh, rumored for the new series and uh, the new regime is that Chris Chibnall's going to introduce a writers' room. Yeah, um, and I think I might have mentioned this on the pilot podcast. I think that's a really good idea. Doctor Who is is is, con- is is quite contrary in in that respect. It works well by committee. Yeah, you know, it was designed by committee. Um, you think of the great eras, you know, the 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 Letts and and Terence Dix and the Hinchcliffe and Holmes and the the Cartmel and GNT era. You know, two very different characters adding their own distinctiveness to the pot. You know, that's quite unusual, isn't it? Normally, you, you, you think a line of duty, that's one person's creative vision, and that's what you get. You know, you think of you think of Star Trek, one person's creative vision driving it forward. Doctor Who isn't like that. It was designed by a BBC committee with different people having different things in the pot. You know, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert all put in there. But you had, you had others behind the scenes. Um, and so... Doctor Who works well by committee, so it, I, I hope Chibnall does bring in a, a writers' room, and I hope he does bring in some of the best young writers that we've got. I would also love to see some traditional who writers. I mean, wouldn't it be great to see Rob Sheerman and, and Mark Platt giving a go? Yeah, and, definitely. You know, so I, I'm, I think I think there's going to be that. Obviously, we've got the new Doctor, and 
you know, that's one of the great joys of the show. You think you, it, it's like, you know, it's like James Bond. Who's going to be the next Doctor? Who's going to be the next James Bond? I think it's the same type of feeling you get, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and you were talking about ratings before. Wise that always leads to a huge spike in interest, doesn't it? Um, and it's all really does, doesn't it? Because it's all changed. It's a new Doctor, new companion, new writer. Um, it, it's a good chance to start again. And as, as I mean, this series was a good jumping on point. But uh, the casual viewer wouldn't have known that probably with the you know the same uh, with Peter Capaldi still being the Doctor. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a good chance for another kind of reboot and uh, and then start again. Wouldn't it be lovely if we can get to Christmas not knowing who the new Doctor is? I mean, yeah. it's not going to happen, and maybe it's actually counterintuitive. Maybe we maybe really the show doesn't want that to happen. Maybe the show distinctly doesn't want that to happen. Maybe they, they're like, you know, we need the publicity, we need to generate the buzz. But wouldn't it be great? Just imagine sitting down on Christmas Day and not knowing who the new Doctor Who's going to be. Yeah, yeah, if it could be kept a secret. I wouldn't I'd love that. do another live show like they did uh, announcing Peter Capaldi. But whether they just did that because Peter Capaldi was already a big name. Possibly, yeah, possibly. And I noticed that at the time the betting had stopped, hadn't it? it yeah. the, all bets had stopped on, on Capaldi. And very quickly, and I think fans are going to be wise to this now, because there was uh, there was something going around on Twitter when um, they, were, they were appealing for an audience. Oh, do you want to come along and dress as, do- dress as Doctor Who and explain why you love the show? Yeah. Um, little knowing that it was actually the, the reveal show. They're going to reveal the new Doctor Who. Um, and so I think people will be watching out for that. And, you know, if, if, if something like that bubbles along, then great. But, you know, I, I yes, I, I know. And it's the same with the John Sim reveal, the same with the Mondasian Cyberman reveal. But wouldn't it be great if we could get to Christmas and sit down, uh, you know, half past six at Christmas Day and we're just at our dinner. And we're waiting to see who the new Doctor Who is. That'd be something. Yeah. That'd be really something, you know. And if that was the case, if I was Capol, if I was Moffat, I'd be messing around with that something chronic. I'd have yeah. all sorts of regen, full regenerations occurring. It'd be it'd be wonderful. Um, but you know, like I said, that's that's not a moan. It's not a criticism. It's not a you know the BBC won't do this. I you know I know they've got commercial pressures, and I know they've got they've got to generate a buzz. And actually, it might be very difficult to do, but. Just you know, it's a little, it's it's a little something on my wish list. It would be one time, wouldn't it? It would be an amazing thing to pull off. It really would. It would be. It would be a last hurrah for for the Stephen Moffat era. Yeah. What? Uh, any anybody that you'd pick? Any uh, any ideas? Um. You know, it's it, it's funny. Um. You asked me this on the pilot, and I've had a chance to think about this, and my answer's still the same. I want to be surprised. Yeah. I want that feeling I got when Matt Smith was announced, and I thought, who the heck is he? When David Tennant, who I was sort of vaguely aware of, but I didn't really know, I want a surprising young actor, whoever mm. that might be, whatever race, creed, gender, ethnicity, whatever, I don't care. I want to be surprised by someone brilliant. Yeah, it's uh, it's a thing, isn't it, of whether we get an unknown or, or somebody established. Uh, I I always think it's very difficult for a complete novice. Um, yeah. You know, I think Matt Smith was probably the newest, wasn't he? Um, yeah. I'd you know, you think back him. even to the classic Doctors, Hartnell, Troughton, Pertwee, Baker, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Silver, they were all time-served actors. You know, they were all, mm. they'd, they'd all been around the block a little bit. Then you got Eccleston, of course, yeah. who'd been, again, well, very well-established actor. 
Um, Tennant, he'd been around. He'd, he'd, he'd had success on television. Yeah. So I that. guess I guess Matt Smith was probably the newest, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it uh, be, it's yeah. such a gamble. It's such a gamble, isn't it, to to pick somebody for for you know for for, for such an iconic role. Um, I remember seeing people talking on Twitter about you know would would the Doctor be written differently for as it would for Peter Capaldi, and you know I th- I, I always think that the Doctor shapes you, you, you write the and the actor shapes it. The actor puts the puts the accent on it and puts the puts the emphasis on it. Um, I think I might have stolen that for Terence Dix, which is fine yeah. because Terence Dix is quite happy to pilfer literary references <laughs> from other people, so I don't feel in any way yeah. guilty. I think at the time they published in the Doctor Who magazine the the script that um, was the audition piece for the Twelfth Doctor, and reading at the time, I felt like I could only hear it in Matt Smith's voice. Yeah, um, but. It, once you knew it was Peter Capaldi, rereading it again, you thought, "Ah, oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah." You could, uh, you could see him saying it as well. Um, yeah. So I think it, they will just write a doctor. Uh, I suppose the things um, that they'll change. I remember Russell T. Davis in interviews talking about how, when he first brought it back, writers would write for John Pertwee uh, yeah. and have him say "my dear" and things like that. Uh, so I guess uh, it, it's whoever the writers grew up with, you know, be shaped a little bit. And uh, again, the new writing ethos, whatever Chris Chibnall brings in, whatever his own sort of voice is going to be, I, I'm, you know, I'm hoping it's going to be distinctive. I'm hoping we're going to have a tangible era like we have had with RTD, like we definitely had with, with, with Stephen Moffat. Mm. But I hope it's different. And I hope it's new and I hope it's, you know, brings another dimension to the role. Because one of the things about the show is it only works because it evolves. Yeah. You know, now sometimes that evol- that evolution is, is in the right direction. Sometimes it doesn't quite work and, you know, they have to reroute it and start again. Um, but the show moves forward. The show continues to evolve. The only, again, the only sort of criticism, uh, observation I have, and again, this is purely based on taste, this is me not liking a particular thing, is there's been a lot of contemporary references in this series. I've, I, maybe I've just noticed them, but there's been lots of things that are very, very topical and relevant to now. Mm. And I, I think back to the old West Wing analogy, you know, if you, if you put if you put cultural references in your work, it gives it a shelf life of about 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, and and maybe we'll see a little change in that. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, but like I say, the, the the you know the the Moffat era is dead. Long live the Chibnall era. Absolutely. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a, a pleasure discussing this one with you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, and thank you for having me back. I don't normally get invited back to places, so this is something <laughs> of a this is something of a, of, a, of a refreshing change. So thank you very much indeed. No problem. Uh, definitely have you back any time. Uh, hopefully, get back on the podcast at some point. Uh, so um, we can find you on Twitter as at Cosmic Chris. That's it. Yes. Cosmic with a K and Chris with a K. Yes. Uh, I'll put links to that in the show notes as well. Um, don't don't shout at me too much. Uh, like I said, these are only my opinions. And, you know, <laughs> you, you you might you might have they might have hated things I've loved, and you might have loved things I've hated. And feel the difference. That's what the show's about. That's it. It's it's all subjective. It's it's disappointing when you see that on Twitter, isn't it? That uh, arguments kind of breaking out over personal taste. Um, yeah, I I, so. I genuinely most of the time mm. I don't care enough. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know. 
the um, I'm still going to be doing the, the the podcast, and as soon as it's finished, going to be looking at some of the books and things like that. So um, so don't delete from your uh, from your podcast feed, uh, and I'll be picking up with my mate Richard, who had never seen Doctor Who before this series. Uh, see how he got on with the last few episodes as well. So uh, stay tuned. Um, anything else from you, Chris? No, just thank you very much for having me. Good luck with the rest of the podcast. I'm sure they're going to be as good as the previous ones have been. You've had some amazing guests on, some amazing speakers. Uh, no, you know, the, the 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 first and the last were a bit dodgy, but you've had some <laughs> you've had some really good good people on there. It's been great to hear it. Uh, I think so. so much. Good luck and thank you again. It's been great. It's it's definitely saved me having uh, yourself and uh, lots of uh, intelligent, articulate people uh, on to uh, to to cover up for my uh, shortcomings. Uh, but yeah, I'll say uh, thanks to my other co-hosts as well. Uh, so John, Keith, Denise, Eric, Carey, and Jason. Uh, we'll hopefully be hearing them again soon, and we've got some some new people lined up for the next few weeks as well. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.